Yes, welcome back to Atypically Topical. What up? How's it going? Good. I'm Indy. Yeah, I'm That's Josh. Josh. I was going to like maybe not introduce us for once and like <laughs> everybody knows, but... Well, you don't know. Some random people watch, uh, watch listen to this <laughs> podcast, apparently. A random person's going to tune into part two of, <laughs> of a series. <laughs> yeah, I guess you never know. Yeah, you never know. Our numbers are pretty staggered randomly. Like, I never know what's going to do well and what's not. Mm. So, um... Yeah, I guess we might as well just introduce ourselves every time. <laughs> it used to be in the intro that we had by with Andrew. Yeah. But I kind of cut that because we, we've we um, had it long Because we don't need we Andrew need, anymore. We don't need Andrew anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> Andrew did a great job. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be, uh, this is a part two of a, um, a series we started a few months ago. I guess it's a series now, technically, um, where we talked about like international stuff. Mm-hmm. It was called Around the World. So we'll be doing that. We'll get into that a little bit later with more stories about stuff that's not, uh, that doesn't have to do with America and how fucked up we are. <laughs> um, but instead, it'll probably be more about how fucked up the rest of the well, world is. Actually, um, this is kind of, some of my stuff does happen in America. Okay. <laughs> it's it's more about like the traveling. Disqualified. <laughs> Well, I can't find another story, but um, <laughs> that's all right. But this is like more about like traveling, like okay, yeah, yeah. that's all right. I mean, we never have had a strict adherence to the yeah topic as a requirement, so um, we'll we, be good. we have leniency because it's our podcast, right? <laughs> we can do whatever we want, guys. Yeah. Fuck you guys, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so before we do that, since we last recorded, not sure if we've done much. No. To be it's honest, you have, you're off from work now because it's the holidays. Yeah. We just had Christmas, so um, there was that. It wasn't the same as, you know, usual where we have bigger gatherings and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. We got our tree up. We got some ornaments up. Um, that's the gist of it. Nothing exciting. No. <laughs> Typical. Start my application and is it? Yeah, your, your PhD stuff we were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, not much to get into on that. Let's go ahead and get right to our Mindy Tries It segment. And this is exciting because now we have, we officially have that, what's it called? Like a, a Boksu box? Um, I, I picked up something hoping it would say the name, but it's just in Japanese. Um, yeah, Boksu. Yeah, Boksu, B-O-K-K-S-U. And it's um, Japanese snacks. We ordered a box of it just mm-hmm. for the podcast. Um <laughs> So that we can try, or she can try one each week, and we don't have to like painstakingly look for something <laughs> weird at a, like at a grocery store that we can't. Yeah, find. this this guarantees like everything is nothing I've ever tried. Before. Yeah, there are quite a few things in here, as you can hear from the package sounds, um, and I'll be picking each time. Um, I have they have like luckily a little book guide that shows what each one is because everything written on all the packages in Japanese so yeah. obviously it's not going to help us would it, be, would it be crazy what if like I just picked a package and started speaking in Japanese <laughs> like you just have the secret yeah we've been watching too much of those like shows anime <laughs> well no oh yeah that too I just meant like when people have secrets like we just finished oh, uh, Broad yeah. Church which is I guess it's been out for a few years but we just got into it on Netflix really good uh, UK show yeah. I guess um, Broadchurch, check it out. We're only on season one, though, so no spoilers, even though nobody ever contacts us. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, the one I picked out, I'll go ahead and hand it over to you while I explain what it is. You might know. You, I think you might have 
said what one of these looks like to you. Well, like you already knew what it. Well, no, I think that that was with the mochi. Okay, well these are Funwari mochi puffs. Okay. Um. So. So. It's it's really light. Yeah. So hold on. Let me describe before you try it. Okay. So um. It's mochi in the crisp and airy texture of a cloud-like confection using a secret proprietary process. The puffs are finished with a dusting of kinako, which is roasted soybean powder, for a wildly addicting sweet, nutty flavor. Mm. So it shouldn't be bad. Yeah, it's like, it, it looks like it has strands. <laughs> it's weird. Strands? Like of hair? Yeah, like, do you see how it's ah, like? I almost crushed it in my hand when you handed it over <laughs> to me. Because it's so soft. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's hard, but like, like hollow. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, like a Cheeto, like a fat Cheeto. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of feels like a Cheeto puff, but like. It smells kind of nutty. Even airier. Yeah. So you want to go ahead and take a bite into the mic. Sure. But just don't get on your laptop. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it, it kind of sounded like a Cheeto puff. It's so too. light. Yeah. It felt like when you I swear like, I almost crushed my fingers over my laptop. Like if you don't have teeth, this is the treat for you cuz you don't need teeth need teeth to eat All right, this. let me try it. Oh my god. It's sweet. It just like dissolves. Mhm. Right? I like it though. It is good. Oh, there's like a peanut butter taste. Mhm. I wonder if I could just, like, crush it on the roof of my mouth. <laughs> Probably. That was, like, the lightest thing I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. I'll Here. try eating it without without my teeth. Mm-hmm. There's only four in each bag. Or did you already have? I had two. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I had two also. Mm, okay. No, no teeth. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, now I have to chew because I'm going to choke. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's not, that's not a good idea to try to just do tongue <laughs> and roof of mouth because then it just, like, <laughs> gets stuck to both and then you almost choke. <laughs> that's what so you said. So if you get these, <laughs> don't do that move. That yeah, but, yeah, but it was, it was really good. Uh-huh. I'm really surprised. It's, like, the lightest thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> Besides, like, well, I, I don't know if there's anything I can... <laughs> Compared to besides like a cheese puff or something. <laughs> yeah. We have little crumbs we can snack into after, but all right. Yeah. So thumbs up, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Good job, Japan. Yeah. Good job, guys. All right. So from there, we'll go ahead and go into our usual first segment, which is questioning Florida. Okay. So this is from October of this year, and it is a USA Today article. Okay. Headline. Florida man steals parrot from pet store by putting it in his shorts pocket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any question? I mean, it was it Several. a big parrot? Like, did he, did he have... Um... <laughs> did he have, like, cargo shorts? Yeah, because, I mean, I feel like that's the only pocket that's big Probably. enough. I'm not sure if they specify that, but... Um... They should. We need all the deets. Oh, I do have... So, I'm sure you'll want to see a picture of the parrot. Obviously. Oh, by the way, if um, I've recently found out what a baby toucan looks like, Google it. Oh, yeah. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, you will not regret it. How did you stumble on that anyways? One of my friends posted, like, because she likes birds, and so she'll just post random, random birds. Picks, yeah, random birds. And that came up, and I was like, oh, my God, I want it. Mm. 
Okay, well, I can go ahead and show it to you now. It looks pretty small to me if you go to Facebook. It's a little cutie. It's a little chubby. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fat shame him. He looks pretty old, like with the feathering on the top. I don't know if that's... Do they have the same like color scheme or when they get old and they have gray hair? Maybe. As humans? That's, that's what I thought. <laughs> I could be wrong, though. I don't know much about birds besides... <laughs> you need the, to ask your friend. Yeah. Or you can just Google it. Dude, the, today, speaking of birds, today um, <laughs> I was coming back from the gym um, and on the side of the road, there's all these vultures just hanging out and guessing mm. there's something dead. Yeah. But like... I, I, I always forget how big vultures are because they're like always so high up. Yeah, they are huge. They're huge. They're like, their wingspan is like the wingspan of my arms. <laughs> the length of my arms. So your wingspan. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. They are. Did you happen to see if there was a carcass or anything there? Or you just No, I didn't. I didn't, didn't to want look. to look. Yeah. yeah. Good idea. All right, let's get into this. So a man, <laughs> I don't know why this is specified, but... A man with Disney tattoos was arrested after he stole a pair. <laughs> okay, so his pants don't matter, but the fact that he has Disney tattoos matters. <laughs> he was arrested after he stole a parrot named Lapis from a Venice pet store last week by putting the bird in his shorts. According to the sheriff's office, the man entered Pet Supermarket. I guess that's just the name of it. Just pet, very it's very like generic capitalized name. Pet Supermarket at South uh, Tamiami Trail on October 14th at 2 p.m. And picked up a bag of birds. They give a lot of detail on this. He then opened a cage, removed a turquoise green checkered conure, and put the bird in the pocket of his shorts. He then left the store and drove off. The incident was captured on, on security video. <laughs> so he just walked in, got bird seed, opened it, put it in his shorts, and then walked out. And drove well, at least he got some food for the bird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Detectives identified a suspect, 46-year-old Venice man, and met the man at his home Thursday, where they recovered Lapis unharmed. His arrest report says he has tattoos of Cinderella's castle and Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Why, are... why, why is that relevant? <laughs> I guess if you ever run into that, just know he might steal your bird. Okay. The man was arrested on the charge of petit theft and remains in the uh, county jail on $500 bail. Pretty low. But... Yeah, that's not bad. So since you know his age already, what I want to ask you is how much do you think the bird and seed were valued at, according to the store? Mm. This is kind of just a shot in the dark, but let's see. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the bird may be more expensive just because of, I don't know if it's like maybe rare. Because, I mean, it's not like like one of those cockatoos or anything. And I said it's a green uh, turquoise green-cheeked conure. Or yeah. conure, I don't know how to say that. Canoeer. So I'm guessing maybe it's like maybe around three hundred dollars, and then plus the bird seed, maybe like three fifty. Three fifty. That's not bad. Um, they were valued at four thirteen forty nine. Okay. So, <laughs> I guess he's a little bit more expensive than you, you yeah. thought. But still, I mean, five hundred dollar bail. He he lost out <laughs> if he even gets bailed out. Um, quick Florida man score. Not much here. The street address was mentioned as one point. Small retailer one point. Theft is two points. And actually, this might be a new entry for animals. They specifically have parrot is worth four points. So I guess it's a, <laughs> it's, uh, it's some, a somewhat common occurrence. Yeah, in Florida. For... Um, so that doubled his total to eight. Still not a lot, but... What I thought, more than I thought yeah. he was going to get. Taking it a little bit lighter as, as we are still in the holiday season. No, no uh, crazy injury drug riddled stories this time but mm-hmm. i'm sure we'll get back into that next year <laughs> um yeah so there you go nice all right so 
now let's get back to our our topic. We're going to continue our our series on around the world stuff, even though yours might be partly in the U.S. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, get into yours. Okay. So my story is about uh, Lancaster Hemingway. Do you have no? Do you have any idea who that is? No, but it sounds very fancy. Um, like a royal person. <laughs> he is actually the only brother to a famous Ernest? yes, yeah, Ernest Hemingway. Right. Um, and then we talk about what he did because mm-hmm. we don't care about Ernest Hemingway and right. did all that shit. Whatever. Everybody knows about yeah. him. Um, he was born Lancaster Hemingway was born in Oak Park, Illinois, on April first, nineteen fifteen. Um, like Ernest, um. Lancaster was a writer, world traveler, and avid outsportsman. He worked... Outsportsman? I mean, outdoor sportsman. Oh, okay. I thought that was like a separate thing. <laughs> <laughs> he worked as a newspaper reporter, photo editor, boat builder, and authored many articles on fishing and outdoor activities from men's publications, along with six books. Hmm. Among- okay, so he did his own writing. Yeah. He did he- his own stuff. Okay. Among these books was a novel entitled The Sound of the Trumpet. Um, which was based on the experiences in France and Germany during World War II. Oh, wow. Um, this work received slight praise from critics, but many seem to think that uh, Lancaster um, was simply living in the shadow of his brother. Hmm. A review of his work in the New York Times declared that Lancaster Hemingway was part of the first gener- the first younger generation shaped by the rights of Ernest Hemingway. Which, I mean, it's not... That'd be kind of annoying to always be compared to your older brother. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if he's in the same field as someone that became, like, a world-renowned renowned writer. <laughs> writer. Yeah. Um, his most famous and well-received work was a, bi- a biography titled My Brother, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> uh, it's considered to, by some to be the finest work on the subject, obviously. It's, you know, yeah, you know your own brother yeah. better than others. Um, for the last five years of his life, he focused on his attention on the Burmese Out Islands News, a small monthly newsletter on fishing. Besides his work as a writer, um, it is now widely known that Hemingway was also the founder of the New Island Republic off the coast of Jamaica, declared New Atlantis on Jan- on July 4th, 1964. Wait, where did this come from? <laughs> You'll see. Built up from the depths of 50 feet, the 8 by 30 feet country was constructed from iron pipe, stones, bamboo, and stainless steel. 8 by 30 feet country? I'll get into it. Essentially, it <laughs> amounted to a bamboo raft yeah. <laughs> anchored by a, rail ro- a railroad axle and the Ford engine block six miles off the west coast of Jamaica near Bluefields. Okay. I'm not... I feel like there's a psychotic break that happens somewhere in this where he tries to declare his own country. The purpose of this tiny <laughs> new nation was to house the headquarters for the National Marine Research Society, oh. an organization founded by Hemingway. Okay. This At is, least there's an organization involved. Yeah, but I mean, if you arrive as your organization, is it really an organization? <laughs> yeah. Um, this society's mission was to further marine research, raise funds for this research, and build a scientifically valuable aquarium in Jamaica. Okay. Hemingway also believed that by creating this new country, he could 
help protect Jamaican fishing, and this was another of his goals. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were six original inhabitants of New Atlantis, including him, his wife Doris, their daughters, um, Anne and uh, Hillary, and at the time there were seven and three, and um, Washington National Public Relations Specialist Edward Moss and his assistant Julian Cellini. Um, Hemingway was elected the first president oh, really? of New Atlantis in 1965. What are the odds? Um, to fund the construction for New Atlantis, Hemingway used all the proceeds from his biography huh. that he made about Ernest Hemingway. And um, though the island was quite small, he had plans to expand it in the future. Unfortunately, this never came to be as the tiny island nation of New Atlantis was destroyed in a storm only a few years after <laughs> its creation. So, that sucks. That's a little small fact that I found interesting yeah. about, like, just randomly, Ernest Hemingway's brother made a nation mm-hmm. off the coast of Jamaica. Yeah, that was destroyed within a couple of years. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, How random. Hemingway suffered from type 2 diabetes. Mm. Um, and so he had five operations and there was a possibility... For him to lose his leg, so he actually um, ended his life in 1982 at the age of 67. Mm. And unfortunately, again, his family has a history of committing suicide, um, including or completing suicide. I forget what the right terminology is for that. Oh yeah, is there? I I think it's completing. Completing suicide is the right way to say it. Is I guess is like the connotation of committing is. Not yeah, I think there's something around appropriate that. Appropriate anymore? We'll look into it later. Yeah, um, we'll call PC police. <laughs> um, his brother Ernest shot himself when he was 62. His sister and his grandniece also uh, died at their own hands. And his brother, I mean his dad, also um, killed himself after suffering from depression. So there's like a whole family history. So they okay. like all did it. Yeah, essentially. So that's like the whole population of the, the Hemingway family. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say of the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> at least not that guy and his assistant. No. Hopefully. I would hope so. <laughs> no. That would be sad if they. <laughs> okay, so because that story was kind of short, I found something else that was another idea that I had, but it kind of goes along with okay, kind of traveling. You're doing a double. Yeah. A double header now. Double feature. Okay. Um, okay, so this is actually about John Quincy Adams. Mm-hmm. Do you remember who that is? Presidential um, stuff comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, he was the sixth, sixth president of the United States. Okay, yeah. Also, I, I just didn't know which number. And he's the son of John Adams as well, who was the second president of the United oh, States. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. He was interested in science and nature and had a passion for exploration. During his lifetime, scientific scientific exploration was reaching new heights. Lewis and Clark had been commissioned to explore the western frontier, and around the world adventurers were setting out for uncharted territories in search of the unknown. Although it's been suggested by many historians that John Quincy Adams had the highest IQ of any president, he had some deeply held beliefs. No, we all know that's Trump now. <laughs> you would you, he's going his ideas are kind of more ridiculous depending <laughs> And what you, how you view Trump's ideas. Yeah. Um, he had some deeply held beliefs that would would be scoffed at today. One of them 
was his support of the hollow earth theory. Oh no. During the during the 1810s and 1820s, many academics and scientists thought the earth was a hollow sphere. Actually, it was theorized that the earth was made up of a series of um, concentric layers which contain which contained its own subterranean world. The fuck? <laughs> this world was illuminated by a sun-like heat and light and light source at the very center of the Earth. I mean, they partly have the right idea. <laughs> I, I mean, if there's a, if like life can live in lava. <laughs> <laughs> well, this that they knew that it was warmer in the middle. I, I guess is the only part I'm talking about. <laughs> Everything else is horribly wrong. In eighteen in the eighteen twenties, scientists believed that the world. The world beneath the Earth's surface um, would hold vast uh, natural resources um, as well as subterranean people. So basically, they thought that there's a whole other civilization in there that the has Earth. a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and like taking over the Native American population and taking all the resources wasn't enough. Now we have a whole new race of people that we need to. Go. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah, you gotta take everyone over. Even the ones you don't know even exist. Exactly. Yeah. That's the American way. I guess we'll find out. Maybe this is the ongoing <laughs> investigation. Um, Darwin's theories on evolution were still decades away, but believers of the hollow earth theory, like Adams, assumed that some sort of human-like beings had adapted to the underground lifestyle and that they were communities of mole people. <laughs> mole people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what else are you going to call them? Mm. Subterranean creatures yeah people i I mean that sounds more professional but yeah (laughs) i wonder if he thought dig dug was a documentary (laughs) (laughs) well i mean dig dug wouldn't exist for i know like if he would have i meant (laughs) yeah maybe maybe they they believed like little dinosaurs and (laughs) little weird alien things (laughs) were down there uh during this time a self self self-education Scientist, an ex-soldier named John Clavis Simons Jr., was making the rounds across the United States speaking to crowds about his hollow earth theory. The purpose of his lectures wasn't just to educate his audience. He was trying to recruit 100 brave companions. Since Simons believed, as other hollow earth theorists did, that that there were charms in the ground at the North and South Poles that served as gateways to the center of the earth. And he planned to launch an expedition to in Siberia. Okay, so he's trying to... To get people to go with him. Right. Not everyone. He's trying to pull like an, an Armageddon, like the movie. But he's doing it in reverse because he wants to go into the Earth and not... Destroy the Earth? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they're not destroying the Earth and Armageddon. They're destroying the meteor or whatever that's coming Oh, out. okay. I've never seen Armageddon. Oh, you never? Okay, that, that, now that I just know it. the one Aerosmith song. <laughs> yeah, so everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> what is the hell we go? Um, I can steal you away. No, let's not even. <laughs> not even for copyright yeah, issues, just because. <laughs> okay. I love this. Good song. <laughs> I like that song. <laughs> um, is it on your Spotify? Well, I have a lot of songs that I like that are not my Spotify. <laughs> okay. Um, it looked as though he wouldn't be able to raise the support. I'm sorry, I skipped something. Okay. Not everyone took Simon's theory seriously. In fact, most people laughed at him. It took as it looked as though he wouldn't be able to raise support he needed for his expedition to the center of the earth. But 
he found a supporter in John Quincy Adams. Mm-hmm. Adams was a brainy introvert who was more academic than presidential. In his presidential campaign of 1824, Adams was viewed as indecisive and cautious, while his opponent, Andrew Jackson, was seen as bold, decisive, and authoritative. During the campaign, Adams promised to back Simon's expedition. Even though plenty of people scoffed at the idea, they saw the move as proof that Adams did have a backbone for some reason. <laughs> they had a newfound respect for Adams that helped him win the election. Oh Adams was interested in the thrill of discovery and was curious to see what natural resources would be found beneath the earth. He was also hoping that the new discovery would be the legacy of his presidency. Space Force. Space Force. A lot of similarities yeah. in, in uh, what I'm hearing. Although I don't think Trump's IQ is Oh no, there's no academics in there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As for Simons, he sought to establish a trade with the mole people. Um, (laughs) No doubt, he was hoping to gain profits for himself by establishing trade routes between the surface of the world and the subterranean one. John Quincy Adams only served one term as president, and in that time, he was not able to... Another (laughs) similarity. He was not able to pull together the support and resources needed to fund the journey. I wonder if he ever conceded when he lost. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, he probably was just like, I know I lost. (laughs) No, that's conceding. There's a a little difference there. I like how you took this, like, actually, like, literally, like, this is a world um, story, but just, like, inside inside, Inside the world. world. I should rename this episode. (laughs) We just have its own thing in the world. In the world. People would be very confused by that. When Jackson was elected president, he merely nixed the project. Despite this failure, Adam's Adam's presidency did see some lasting scientific endeavors. Oh, okay. He did. He established the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., and more importantly, he helped make, he made sure the money from the estate of James Smithsonian, I mean, James Smithson, went into the establishment of the Smithsonian Institution. Oh, okay. So, sure. yeah, he, he helped create the museum there. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's pretty cool. something. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I've been there. It's actually, it's a really cool museum. It's like a bunch of museums, like, all close together. Oh, yeah. It's pretty cool. Nice. Um, so Any was, mole people in there? <laughs> preserved? Um, I don't think I made it to that part okay. of the museum. And the construction still? Yeah. So as far as we know, no other president has attempted to establish diplomatic ties with the mole people of <laughs> Middle Earth. Okay. Um, again, who, who, again who, there might have been if, one If recent. Trump had a second term, who knows? <laughs> know. Man, I, I say we still give him a shot, guys. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's under, what resources is under the earth? Let's say, for uh, real. Just to bring up another podcast, that's, that's like a running joke they have on Never Not Funny, which is a awesome comedy podcast I listen to all the time. He He just, every time they bring up Trump, he's like, no matter how much time is left, he's like, I don't know. I mean, he still has four more months. I'm going to give him four more months just to see if we can get together. Come, I mean, we. <laughs> it's just funny every time they notoriously hate him on that <laughs> on that podcast. I mean, they're all from California. It's expected, mm-hmm. and also they're normal people, so <laughs> you would expect it. But just a fun, funny little aside there. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> a lot of stuff I didn't know. As usual, very interesting. Yeah. So. Now, you know, there's uh, <laughs> Ernest Hemingway's brother created a nation 
technically. And a president wanted to find more people. All right, so yeah. So there you go. There's your takeaways. That's, yeah, that's this, uh, that's this whole podcast in a nutshell right there. So our last story of the year is going to be about the most terrifying prisons on the planet. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> they chose five. I went ahead and cut one out because they're kind of long descriptions. But this is from allthatsinteresting.com. Okay. This is from a 2016 article. Um, but I'm sure pretty much all this information still holds. <laughs> uh, they do a really good job of describing exactly what goes on in each. So uh, let me start with... Sabanetta Prison in Venezuela. Okay. Given that Venezuela has the world's second highest homicide rate, hmm. it's probably no surprise that Venezuelan prisons are considered to be some of the most violent in the world. The director of the Venezuelan Prison Observatory states that 80% of their prisons are actually run by armed inmates. Oh. So it's not... I mean, it's not great when the the, the inmates... Have control of the prison of their own, where they stay. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like then why are they there? (laughs) Yeah, but it gets worse. Of those inmates, more than thirty-seven hundred of their most violent ones are packed like sardines into Sabanetta, which is a prison built to house no more than seven hundred. So that's like over five times what it's meant to have in that building. Or in that whole uh, probably wasn't great during COVID. (laughs) No, yeah, I wonder how it is now. Oh my god, I don't even want to think about that Uh, because this was in 2016 when they were talking about this. So, as you would guess, the prison is filthy, dangerous, overcrowded, and neglected. And with the prisoner to guard ratio of about 150 to one, maintaining order is extremely difficult. (laughs) That sounds like the public school system. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, except. Less murders, probably. I mean, you'd be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) The prisoners, of course, maintain their own kind of order in the form of a rigid gang-controlled hierarchy, as you would expect. Yeah. Poor, low-status inmates are forced to pay the more powerful ones to secure a place to sleep. And if they want water, many prisoners must drink straight from corroded bathroom pipes. Uh, No, that's the worst part. (laughs) (laughs) So far. As a result of such abuse, riots have broken out time and time again. In 94, 108 prisoners were killed in a brutal riot that left the prison scorched black. Dang. In 2013, 16 inmates were killed during a riot. Their perpetual war between rival gangs led to the beheading and gruesome dismemberment of several victims, and a follow-up raid found a large stockpile of assault rifles, grenades, and even endangered animals, which belonged to the leaders of the prison hierarchy. Wait, so the... There's a parrot in there. (laughs) (laughs) So they could have like a fucking tiger in there? I mean, are tigers endangered? I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, pretty sure they're endangered. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, the green-necked conure. That'd be pretty badass, too. They could be like uh, Ezekiel from Walking Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was it? Shiva or something? Uh, Shiva? It might have been Shiva. I guess, I don't know. Ezekiel Tiger is uh, Shiva. Yeah, I got Shiva. it. Okay. okay. Um, in the words of former Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez, Sabaneta is, quote, the gateway to the fifth circle of hell, <laughs> which I'm sure he knows plenty about. Yeah. Next one, Rikers Island, New York. Oh, okay. 
Rikers Island holds local offenders with short sentences and those awaiting trial or transfer. You might not think that a facility with such a relatively uh, with such relatively low grade offenders would be one of the worst prisons on earth, but you'd be wrong. So it seems like just like the sentences are like a year or less, and there's mm-hmm. people just in there. But somehow we'll see why. Yeah, I wouldn't expect that. Right. So Rikers Island has a notorious record of systematic abuse. Perhaps even more so than the rampant gang violence, inmates often lived in live in abject terror of abusive correctional officers, and rightfully so. So this is where, yeah, it's it has to do with the other side of things, which is like the officers that, I guess, are there really fucking fireworks right now? <laughs> oh my god. It is, right now, it is Monday the 28th. Not any mm. holiday that I can think of. Nope. But once again... <laughs> The night we're recording. Okay, anyways. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, anyways, in 2009, the New York Times reported that there had been at least seven lawsuits filed against the Department of Corrections for guard-sanctioned inmate versus inmate violence. So they're having like, like little... Fights between Yeah, inmates. fight clubs. And probably betting on him. Who mm-hmm. knows? In one such case, a guard allegedly ordered six prisoners to brutally beat two inmates, one of whom was hospitalized with a collapsed lung. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. Mm-mm. That should be like not collapsed. Like, yeah. <laughs> it should, lungs should be not collapsed. Wise words from right? Mindy. Yeah, I know. I should have gone to the medical profession. <laughs> you know what? Psychology is just my calling. <laughs> the New York Times also reported that during an 11 month period in 2013, about 129 inmates had sustained serious injuries at the hands of guards. That's a lot. That's called abuse of power. <laughs> yeah, 129 over 11 months, that's like, um, let's see. That's too much math. <laughs> 11 over 11 a month injuries just from guards. So that's um, what's 11 divided by 4. Um, like almost 3. Yeah. So almost 3 a week. Yeah, not good. Which is almost one point. Keep breaking it down per hour. <laughs> there were no; these were no scrapes. The injuries included bone fractures, deep wounds, and severe head injuries. Adding, you're not gonna like this part either. Ooh, no. Adding unpleasant. It's not like gross, but you just you'll see. Adding unpleasantness is the fact that 77 percent of those who suffered serious injuries had already been diagnosed with a mental illness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's. I mean, that's fairly common. Yeah. In our prison systems. Yeah. Um, there was one famous example of Khalif Browder. He was just 16 when he was arrested for a second degree robbery. He couldn't make his $3,500 bail, but maintained his, maintained his innocence while he awaited trial. For three years, two of which were spent in solitary confinement and administrative segregation, which is already horrible. He was victimized by both correctional officers, uh, correctional officers and fellow inmates before his case was dismissed and he was released. So to reiterate, he had three long years of abuse and mental anguish waiting for a case that was then dismissed anyway. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept of the United States concept of incarceration, of punishment, just doesn't like it doesn't make any sense in the long run, like if we're if we're gonna save money and make our society better, like we should invest more in rehabilitation mm-hmm. 
programs for these inmates, um, unless they're like extremely violent, then it's not very likely that they can be rehabilitated. Right. But I mean, like if someone like gets arrested for drugs and you just have them in jail and they're just kind of chilling there and they get out, like, what do you think is going to happen? They're yeah. going to be selling more drugs because mm-hmm. they don't know what else to, like, they... Yeah, they, they, that's all they know. <laughs> yeah. While in solitary confinement, he attempted to kill himself on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, and in video surveillance footage, um, it showed him being assaulted by um, correctional officers. So, and beaten multiple times by inmates. Um, in June 2015, he hung himself. Mm. The press coverage around his case, you know, centered about centered around the negligence at Rikers and became the catalyst for proposed reform of New York City criminal justice justice system. Mayor but Bill, nothing happened. Well, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced Justice Reboot, which is a program that would speed up the time it takes for an inmate to receive a fair trial. More recently, Obama wrote a piece for the Washington Post in which he announced the ban of solitary confinement of juveniles, specifically addressing the case. But so, but they're not getting rid of the <laughs> the guards. Well, that, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm. I, there's of course they don't get into that, but I'm sure. Is this a private jail? Because that's another issue with the incarceration system in the United States. It's like a lot of Rikers, these prisons. Sure. A lot of these prisons are private mm-hmm. entities, and so they, you know, they profit out of having inmates there, mm. um, and that's just. Just that statement alone is not good yeah. in general. So, it's sad. Yeah. So, on, we'll stay in the U.S. on this one. This is the uh, the third one. This is USP Florence Admax in Florence, Colorado. Hmm. It's a weird name, but... Apparently, they house the most violent criminals in America and have the strictest security measures of any American prison. Um, they're high-profile... Their high-profile inmates are considered too dangerous for any other maximum security prison. Mm. For example, they've had notorious gang leaders, foreign terrorists, and domestic terrorists like Timothy McVeigh, Terry Nichols, and Ted Kaczynski. Mm. With such powerful criminals caged within its walls, prison needs to be secure against escape while also ensuring no intrusion missions are able to break prisoners out. To this end, the prison is designed so that inmates never know their actual whereabouts within the facility, hmm. which is a small four inch by four feet slit of a window um, is their only source of natural light. Mm. Um, yeah, their subject. That's not psychologically yeah. great for anyone. <laughs> right. uh, their inmates are subject to up to 23 hours of solitary confinement per day. 23 mm. out of 24. And are almost completely withdrawn from both other inmates and guards. Prisoners are technically allowed exercise, but at Florence, this consists merely of circling around a concrete pit. <laughs> that's not like, I don't know why that makes me laugh. That's just like, that's not exercise. That's just like something a freaking rat does or something. Yeah. Um, this is but one reason why the, uh, one reason the prison is thought to be psychologically unbearable. Yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The Olympic Park bomber, Eric Rudolph, told Colorado Springs newspaper that Florence was designed to, quote, inflict misery and pain. Likewise, former warden Robert Hood gave the prison a fitting description. 
A cleaner version of hell. So that's the second time we've had... A cleaner version of (laughs) hell. Second time we've had a hell reference. Well, you don't know how clean hell is. Maybe the devil's, you know, a neat freak. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And we will end on this, speaking of hell. This is Patak Island Prison in Russia. Uh, Yeah, this is not going to be good. Yeah. So, often referred to as the Alcatraz of Russia... Patak Island holds Russia's most dangerous criminals. I don't know if I'm saying Patak right. Sorry, any Russian people that are definitely not listening to this. Yeah. P-E-T-A-K. You do your translation. Patak. Aside from the mental torture of 22 and a half hour a day lockdown in two-man rooms, most prisoners are allowed just two visitors a year. And that's, (laughs) yeah. And that's all the inmates can ever hope for, as the prison itself is hopelessly inescapable. It's surrounded by freezing waters of White Lake. In other, in the words of one-time head guard Vasily Smirnov, if they dig, they hit water. If they try to swim, the guards will shoot them. And also, I mean, the water is freezing. I'll, I'll add that to there. Yeah, I mean, if you, I don't think like you can swim. Yeah, in the water. An island, also, like <laughs> you need a boat. <laughs> this place destroys people," said a prison psychologist. The first nine months or so, they spend adapting. After three or four years, their personalities begin to deteriorate. There's no way anyone can spend 25 years in a place like this without being psychologically destroyed. Which so I'm do sure they just do they have life sentences and they stay there all their lives? Or are they expected to, like, I mean, it, get out at some point? It just depends on, I, probably, I don't know how they do their sentencing, but I'm mm-hmm. sure they're not all just life, lifers. Um, one inmate summarized the island's hopelessness when he told the Telegraph, This is the worst. There are no lavatories, no proper washing facilities, and you spend your whole life in a cell. When I came here, I told my wife to get a divorce. She cried a little, and we've never seen each other since. In that same report, another inmate said simply, I've made this, my, I've made this room my home. One day it will be my mausoleum. So there's like no hope here. Um, that kind of isolation becomes even worse if an inmate doesn't follow the rules. They are then locked in the small, dark room for 15 days with a metal bucket and a wooden perch to sit on. Like, really a bird? (laughs) Uh, In addition to the sheer isolation, inmates have limited access to basic facilities like bathrooms, which is a major contributor to the fact that half of the inmates have tuberculosis. During the hour and a half of outdoor excursions allowed each day, prisoners are confined to a small outdoor cage just big enough to stand and pace back and forth in. So yeah, this is like... This is bad. Yeah, that's why I say this for last. Patak Island, particularly brutal even among the worst prisons on Earth, may keep inmates safe from the violence, rape, and abuse that often occurs in less secure prisons, but the psychological anguish suffered there is enough to break even the most hardened criminals. So yeah, that is the uh, Patak Island prison in Vologda, Russia. But yeah, and that's how we will end the year. This, by the way, was episode 83. We're, we're approaching, we'll get to 100 probably next year, I would assume, unless we just completely fall off making these, but... Hopefully um, not. No, it's it's still as fun as it was the first time. The very first episode when I talked about a fajita thief. Oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> maybe on, on 100 we'll reflect on all the past episodes I'd have to do a lot of work on that. We'll see if I'm lazy or not, but that's still going to be a ways yeah, away. Yeah, I saw you, bro. I know. Um, but 
for now, anything else? Um, no, just, you know. I think we covered we covered the inside and the outside of the world <laughs> today, so I think that was uh, Do, Has any other podcast done that? Yeah. I don't think us, so. I don't see you doing that, Mark Marin. Yeah. Fuck you, Mark Marin. <laughs> <laughs> we both him. <laughs> I, I don't even listen to his podcast. I know. <laughs> it's one of the popular ones that I... Yeah, I know. I, I try listening to one, but I'm like, eh. <laughs> He's the one that got Obama, like, first on his Well, yeah, but so. then Michelle Obama had Obama on, so it's kind of like... <laughs> Well, I mean, that was years later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, thanks for listening this year, guys. We had our most successful year, I'm pretty sure, according to Spotify. Don't know how accurate everything is, but I do know there are some people that like to hear us. So thank you, guys. Yeah. And we'll see you in the new year. Back with another episode. Until then, let's go ahead and raise our glasses here. And go grab a refill. Right, bye, guys. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>